bring the next one in. Oh, thank you so much for uh, for taking time out of your day to to see me. To yeah. Hear my. Yeah, I'm on a I'm on a tight five here, so I'm gonna need you to go ahead and pitch this one to me because yeah, yeah, of course we got a lot of films to make. Yes, yes, of course. Okay, so this takes place post World War One in the wilds of Australia. Okay. You have a situation in which three brave soldiers back from the war have to take on an enemy numbering twenty one thousand. I'm listening. They're sent out with nothing but 10,000 rounds of ammunition and two machine guns. Where would this take place? Far away in Western Australia. The outback. The deep outback. Beautiful setting. I'm liking this. We could go on location. There, there's one little thing about it that's a little weird, but it's still an amazing story. Know if I like this. What? What? Who are they fighting? The enemy is the Australian national bird, the emu. Three soldiers, twenty-one thousand emus. Yeah, I feel like this could work. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. In a world infested by birds. There will arise a hero <laughs> to take back his country. Coming this fall, Emu War. This time, it's personal. So, oh, my Boy Scout leader. <laughs> The one that I work with. He had a he had a camper shell and it was all it was all blacked <laughs> out. He had his windows. And this is gonna like, sound super bad. It was almost it, it was almost soundproof <laughs> if you can believe it. It was, but that's not a part of what I'm talking okay, about. Okay. So he bought like a. It's like a 2001 F one fifty, and it's white, and it has a camper shell on the back that exactly matches perfectly white, yeah. all that stuff. He bought this after I was out of the scouts, so thank God. But then he also has a second truck, which is the exact same 2001 F-150 that he put a blue camper shell on the back. So like you're talking about, like if you just buy them, that's just your deal. Like once you get one, you're just like, oh shit, like I need the next truck I get. You don't even wait till you can get a camper shell that matches your truck. You're like, I just got to get the first fucking camper shell I can find on this. What else do you do that with? What else do you buy something and then immediately after that you put, like you buy something and immediately bought it out. Yeah. I can't think of anything else that you do that with. I know there's something else though. Okay, the second. How good of a movie is Con Air? It was a good hair Nicolas Cage movie. It was a good what? Good hair, Nicholas Cage. Why do you call him hair, Nicholas Cage? Good hair. Like oh, he good hair. The, the I flowing ne- locks. hair like like hair Führer. No, <laughs> no, 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 not German. Nicholas no, not Cage. German Nicholas Cage. He had a, a nice head of hair in that movie though. Yes. It wasn't long and dangly. This and... was like peak Nicholas Cage. Like this was like the Rock Nicholas Cage and like he still does so many movies a year. I know. These movies make no sense. He did one in 2021 called Pig, one called Willy's Wonderland, 
One called Prisoners of Ghostland. And then in 2020, he did The Croods, obviously, kids movie, that one I've heard of. Jiu-Jitsu, Grand Isle. I don't know any of the shit that he does now. Did he do the, didn't he star in The Great Emu War? Bing! Segue right into our topic today. <laughs> so He might have been able to fight dinosaurs like the Australians All right. did. Okay, so what do we got? What do we got going on about this uh, emu war? Australia is probably the craziest place on earth. I w- would one hundred percent agree with that. Australia, what? Bef- or I guess after the natives were there, after the indigenous people were there, the Aborigines, yeah, Aboriginal people. The Brits just found it. And they're like, hey. This seems like a great place for a prison work camp. So it, it when people say like it's an island of criminals, it it was originally. Yeah. That's true that it was originally founded as a colony, like a prison colony. It was okay. like 60-40 prisoners to people that worked at the prison and then their families. Yeah, like okay. they they built basically a work camp which what work were you doing at that point besides clearing out land and unfortunately probably killing aboriginal people i would assume yeah you were pretty much looking for resources trying to establish a foothold for whatever country you were being sent by and then being like okay well here's some prisoners get to work if you find anything let us know well and back then if you did find a good natural resource that you could use back in england mm-hmm. you're probably like Three weeks away, maybe, by boat? Oh, yeah, but at this point, I think if... Depending on when Australia was founded, Britain had been doing that every place. They had so many... Yeah, you know, they had... Their colonialism. Exactly, they were in like India. India uh, China. Yeah. So, I mean, they had it down to where they knew about pulling resources from other places that they had colonies at. So, I don't think that would have been an issue. So, I saw something. I didn't know this, but, like, I knew Australia was, like, decently sized. But it's about the size... Um, landmass wise of the actual like continental United States. Yeah, it's it it's it's, it's good size. So I think with Australia, basically, I want to say the statistic I saw was that eighty percent of people live within forty miles of the coast. So pretty much just it's a ring around the entire country. Yeah. Like people, and then the middle, like the the actual outback, is that's where like five percent of people might live, and then they're just kind of scattered throughout. It's like the people that live in California and then don't inhabit, like, the desert parts of California. To, um, like, way more of an extreme, though. You're, you're yeah. basically, yeah, you're okay. thinking of basically a sandwich, but you're only, and you cut out, you know, you cut the crust off the sandwich. It's you're a only shit living sandwich. In the crust. You're only living in the crust. Yeah, it's a shit sandwich because the bread on the outside, all good. Everything's cool. It's got a ton of coastline, all that stuff. 
But then when you get into the meat of the sandwich, the center of the country, it's just shit. Everything will kill you there. Yeah. Yeah, they... They have 20 of, like, the top... Or 20 of the 24 venomous snake species are found in Australia. Um, there's a poisonous slug. I think there's fucking poisonous everything. Yeah. There's a million plus camels in Australia. Well, you know how they got there. They got brought over, didn't they? Yeah, but they brought them down there to traverse the desert climates in the center that of Australia. Sense. That makes sense. And then, after a while, they just started getting out, which... If there's one animal that I feel like would be really funny to watch have sex, it would be an animal. A camel. Or a camel. Not a camel. Yeah. Because you're dealing with the humps. You got a, a two humper and a one humper, and he's trying to get on there. You're trying to see how nature engineered that to work. Yeah. Is it like a like a grip hold on the top so we can get a hold of him? Or her? But they have more camels in Australia than they do in, in any other, like, in the Middle East. The Middle East will import camels from Australia. Just wild as shit. That's, yeah. And really, all of the issues that they have with, like, invasive species besides emus were all brought there. Rabbits were brought there because the English wanted to use them as target practice, Mm -hmm. which clearly they're shit shots because now rabbits just run everywhere. They hunt cats. Yeah, well... It, same deal. They brought cats over there for house pets. Mm-hmm. Then apparently cats just have a good sex life too and just started multiplying as soon as they got out of the houses. Well, I was going to, you would imagine with like so many animals there, even like small ones, that like if a cat got out and went feral, it would just thrive. And then, yeah. It's like going back to nature. Like when you see feral dogs or anything like that, that's like the evolutionary step back from a house yeah. pet. Going back to a wild dog. There's, like, not enough people to, like, control the evolution of that country. In a, in a good way. Like, the, yeah. nature is still crazy and wild enough that people are just on the coast being like, fuck it, you guys have just the middle of the country. <laughs> Everyone's just gonna move to the outside all the crazy shit's in the middle. We'll live here. We'll turn the inside to just the most god-awful melting pot. Literally, the ocean around Australia is known as, like, some of the most great white like shark city. Yeah, it's like some of the most heavily in like infested with like great white sharks. So it's like, all right, so but we can we can't go to the inside of the country and they're like, No, 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 don't go to the inside of the country. Bad bunch choice. Of, yeah, a bunch of stuff will kill you and they're like, So but we can go swimming? They're like, Eh you know what? Just stay in this little sweet spot right here. We got this thing called the Great Coral Reef. It's an amazing wonder. Don't go past that. In fact, don't don't go close to that, because there's a lot of bad shit that lives there. We have something called sea bees. Bees that live underwater in the sea that will sting you <laughs> that aren't going to be fun. This got- might be a controversial topic before we start, mm-hmm. but when you're dealing with man versus nature, is there ever a little part of you that wants just nature to win? Because oh, yeah. I, I feel like this story is sort of nature winning. Yes, 100%. Which leads me to kind of the beginning of this, because this is something that, when I learned about it, it seemed kind of messed up. But July 28th, like 1914, is when we started the World War One, right? Which also, very sort of fun. Well, it's, it's when Australia, I guess, started to declare war on Germany during World War One. Okay. Which is funny to me, because back then... 
do you think it was called World War One? No. Like, they, they didn't know that there was going to be a World no, War it, II? No. Everything that I've always kind of, like, looked into it, it was always called, like, the Great War. Oh. Because it was the largest war that anyone could have ever remembered or that they ever saw in history. So they thought, they didn't ever think there would be another one. They're like, this is the Great War. And then... So World War Two rolls around, they're like, fuck, do we call it Great War Two? Yeah, I honestly, man, like, I don't even know if World War... I'm assuming it probably was used at some point during World War One. the terminology. I wouldn't be surprised, man, if World War Two that period, was the first one to actually coin that term. Yeah. Because there was so much more... It seems like more of the world was involved in that, just because of the shipping, because, you know, how far, like, naval battles spanned the whole globe. I feel like World War One, although all the parties that were included in it, I feel like that was centralized to Europe. That's all you really yeah. hear about is, like, the fighting in Europe. I don't I don't ever hear about like World War 1 taking place like also in the Pacific. So, I, I that's a tangent. I mean, it whatever. Yeah. So anyway, so Australia declares war on Germany in August or on August 14, 1914. When did it end? It ended 1917, 1918 maybe. Well, yeah, you figure because everything moved so much slower back then. Yeah, 1918. Okay. Okay, so it was July 28th is the starting, the official start date for it. November 11th, 1918 was the official end, so it was four years. So those guys getting back after they were done, it's got to be weird to come back to a country because obviously you're getting paid when you're over there. I'm sure the pay for being in a world war back in the 19-teens, 1910s probably wasn't shit. No, how reliable, too, do you think that was, like, the means of getting you money? Yeah, because like, you would have had to have paid somebody that was just there locally. You can't just send... Yeah, if you want them to have money on hand to be able to buy stuff, you have to have someone, like, a you know, a, some type of command post or something like that that's divvying out these payments. And you don't have bank accounts over there? No, you're, you're just, just basically can't. keeping yeah. your, your money to yourself. Trying to send it back. Can you imagine how also unreliable that was? Like, you're trying to send your money back home to help your family... And it ships just keep getting sunk by. Yeah. <laughs> God damn subs. it! That was the one that had the uh-huh. money going back. Why'd you fire on that one? So we get fifty three hundred soldiers that come back to Australia that were given land in order to grow one of their major exports, which was wheat at the time, in Western Australia. So at this point. Western Australia is kind of more of the outback as far as there just wasn't anything there. It wasn't super inhabitable. Obviously, the Aboriginal people were there. They figured out how to make it work. So you got to think at that point, they figured, okay, we have this land that we put out here. It's got to be somewhat fertile. If you can start growing wheat, we can start pumping up our numbers. We can start having a good export. So at that point, just for those who aren't super familiar, as I was not with the geography of Australia, most of the cities are on the East Coast. It's in what they consider the Queensland and South New Wales territories. So there's five territories. Western Australia, which is the largest. Northern Territory, which is kind of in the middle and north. South Australia, middle and south. And then Queensland is what you would think of like as the East Coast for New York. Okay. That kind of area. And yeah. then South New Wales is basically from, like, if you're thinking of the United States, from, like, the Virginias down, like, to Florida. 
The south of Australia. The New New South Wales is what they call it. So, like, all the major cities, which you always think about with Australia... Uh, Perth, Sydney... Yes, Perth, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, those are all along the... Oh, no, actually, Perth is on the west coast. So that's, like, their major city on the west coast. There's That's one of, like, five major cities, or five even decently-sized cities. But on the other side, that's where Brisbane... Um, Darwin is on the very north middle area, but basically, like you were saying, the entire like Western Australia, it's what they would what bush they'd call yeah. it bush. So yeah, so that's where they basically are like, hey guys, we know you just got back from the war. We're gonna go ahead and give you guys a whole bunch of land to grow wheat. It's gonna be in Western Australia. We're gonna trim the bush. We're gonna give you a little bit of this room to grow. So then you run into. These people developing the land, they're dealing with their farms, they're making money, they're doing decent, they're producing a fairly good amount of wheat. Then you run into the recession in 1923, which throws everything off. Wheat wheat prices plummet, the money that they're getting for them is coming back less and less. It's just... It's not a way that you would want a soldier to come back and have to deal with it. They had some good growth. They had some good time. And then we start seeing the invasion. So they had their own um, procession. Was this their own? Because the, the Great Depression up here wasn't until like... 1929? Yeah. 1930. Okay, so this was, the, this was just a... It looks like it was more centered around Australia. This was more of like a... They came back from the war. Obviously, wartime is a fairly decent boom for economies. Oh, my gosh. So then you run the hangover after that where you're not getting the production because you don't have to produce the steel. You don't have to produce everything else they did. All the the businesses that thrived during wartime were kind of slowing down, and it's... Gotcha. Okay. Exactly. So we get the... Which invasion occurred first? Is this the emus that come in, or I see you got something about rabbits up there, too? Oh, man. So, if you would have, say like we're talking World War II, mm-hmm. you had Japan popping off, you had Germany popping off at the same time. Mm-hmm. Rabbits, ever since, they're, ever since they were brought into Australia, I mean, there's a reason why the term is fuck like rabbits. Okay. These guys are producing left and right, reproducing, they're making bunnies everywhere. So... In order to fight off the bunnies, or the rabbits, they built something called the Great Rabbit Wall, which sounds like one of the coolest things ever. A, a rabbit wall. Like, if you think to yourself, a rabbit wall, how tall is a rabbit uh, wall? That's what I was just going to say. I imagine just this, like, you want to think like Great Wall of China and this massive thing. I just see this wall, like, maybe three feet high. <laughs> just, as, a, as a human, you can step over it fairly easily, yeah, but like, it beat the rabbit. You can get, yeah, you can get a running start at it and clear it, but a rabbit can't. At one point, this was the longest continuous, and it still might be, it was the longest continuous wall in the world. It was 1,139 miles long from Jesus. north to south. And this is something... And this is in... Like, 1920... This is the 1920s. Yeah, they they started it even earlier. They started construction on the Rabbit Wall, like, in the 1907-1909 range. Okay. That was how long ago they started it. Because they knew that it was going to be an issue. Rabbits were just everywhere at that point. Okay. So, we got uh, the, rabbit, the Rabbit Menace, the Great Rabbit Scourge. 
so, defeated by a rabbit fence, which also is a little bit of foreshadowing for the end of how this all comes to be with the emus. Okay. So you basically give all these soldiers, or the ones that want to go ahead and do this, give them a bunch of land to grow wheat out in Western Australia. And they don't really kind of think about like, hmm, I wonder what's been like previously living on this land or what migrates through this land or anything like that. So come, was this the first year that they ran in? Like they give them all this land, they start farming and then migration season hits. I I think kind of towards the beginning, it wasn't as big of a deal because they hadn't really stretched their, their crop fields out yet. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they start running into the issue, but it's not that big of an issue. But come 1930s, 1931, in around there, they start to see this influx of emus. I don't know if it's a pack. I don't know if it was a migration. But there's a good chance, just like everything else in the world, if you're a species that's living wildly, and then you see a massive amount of food come into that area you're probably going to start hanging out near your food source. That's, I think that's what it was. What I read was that it was their migration. It was in, they, they put a ton of these farms in the path of their migration. So they go from a little bit inland in the death, the death area, the death zone, of, the death zone and then they migrate their way out toward the coast. Because as you get more toward the coast and everything, you're going to get more food just because of the... More lush environment. Yeah, the waters, you know, rain clouds are going to be able to come in. They're not going to get to the center of Australia, but... So, yeah, so you basically... They have their normal migration to get to these, you know, centers for food. And instead, you're just, they're just like, hold on a second, guys. They're like, oh, shit, they're, they're growing food for us on the way, too. We don't we, run by the food. Yeah, we're not going to... Yeah, so basically, they're like, we don't have to go on our normal migration. We can just stay here and just eat the shit out of all this wheat. So how many emus are we talking about here? Is it a couple hundred, a couple thousand? It was right around 21,000, which, to backtrack... Emus are emus have been around in Australia forever. Emus were there eighty million years ago. So they Australia. are. It's not. Is it? This one is not an invasive species. This one is native to Australia. They literally made it the national bird. It's on their flag. <laughs> it's it's a part of their culture. And so you see a pack of about twenty one thousand emus that are running the exact same place where these wheat fields are. And eventually these farmers out there are just like, fuck, we can't do anything about this. These things are coming in. There's nothing that we can do to get rid of them. They're eating up our crops. We're just coming out of this recession. We've also hit another world recession. And what did you say, 1928 is when Black Monday happened? Yeah, that's when the Great Depression occurred. That's when it first started in the U.S. So... The ripples from the Great Depression in the United States turning into a global depression. You got to think nineteen early nineteen thirties to nineteen thirty two. Their prices have just bottomed out. So not only do they not getting shit for their wheat that they're producing, they're also getting their wheat eaten at the same time by these emus. Gotcha. So they move to go to the government and say, "Hey, man, we need some help with this. You guys got to do something. We went and fought for you." We came back, you were given the, or we were given this land, we were supposed to be producing wheat, but there's no protections for this land. And politically at this point, between depressions, between recessions, between complete financial chaos, the political landscape is turning over left and right, 
there's different parties coming in saying we can do it better, we can do it worse. But on November 2nd, 1932, they finally answered these farmers' questions. They say, hey, we got a plan in place. We're going to give you guys 10,000 rounds of ammunition. We're going to send out three soldiers, which seems overly confident. <laughs> when, dude, when, I, when I read that, because I was reading their names, and it was like, uh, and one of them was a major or a colonel. The lead guy. I think was he was a, a colonel. Okay. So it said colonel and then like two majors, I think. And so I was like, oh, okay. So they sent out like a command structure and everything like that. So I kept reading down. And I was like, so how many soldiers did they send? And no, it was literally this guy. And then the two guys that they sent with the machine guns. Yep. They sent out two Lewis machine guns. They sent out 10,000 rounds of ammunition. They sent out this Colonel GPW Meredith that's going to lead these two other guys against 21,000 emus. 21,000 emus against three men. I didn't even actually kind of put this together. So they give him 10,000 rounds of ammunition and there's 21,000 emus. Yeah. So first of all, at the, at the max they could kill was half of them. If and that is not missing a shot and killing them with one bullet each. Yeah, if you're a Deadeye, if you can hit these things with one bullet, they're thinking one bullet puts these big prehistoric birds down. And these things, I think they can get up to like four or five feet tall. So we're not talking like a little bird that's running around. Yeah. We're talking about a big, delicious-looking bird that's something that I feel like we got to talk about later because ever since I learned about this, all I've wanted to do is throw just a hunk of emu on the barbecue and let it go. Okay, so they sent out two Lewis guns. So Lewis guns, um, so they're not like a rifle, a scoped rifle or anything like that. Basically, World War One was the in, um, introduction of the machine gun. So Lewis guns are basically, you can, it usually takes two guys to operate it, but if you had to, you could probably have one guy operate it with like a bipod. And, and they, were, they were gas fed, is that right? Uh, it looks like looking at the barrel... It looks like it was water-cooled because the barrel's huge. Oh, so it would yeah. be like the smaller barrel inside, then the water okay. kept all coolant. And then it did that, you know, like whenever you see like the movies with the biplanes, the guy in the back that's always shooting, he always has that circular drum that sits on top of his yeah. gun. That's the kind of uh, drum it Kinda used. Kind of like a, a mag drum. Yeah. And then I think it showed, I was trying to see what the fire rate on it. So the fire rate it on insane. it, the rate of fire was 500 to 600 rounds a minute. It was fast. So it's almost firing 10 bullets a minute. Correct. So it, you're, you're out there fucking around 10,000 rounds. You could probably go through oh, yeah. decently quickly. I mean, the only thing that was stopping them from firing five to 600 rounds a minute was the magazine was only, you know, uh, it 90, could only it was, hold it, so many It bullets. was like a 97 round. Magazine. And regardless, at that point, I'm sure that there still needs to be a cooldown time, different things Correct. like that. So effective firing range was also 880 yards. So almost a, almost 1,000 yards, which seems pretty effective, but effective is only if you hit it. Yeah. So your accuracy <laughs> at that range is probably way, way, way down. There has to be a mass that hits in between. Correct. Them. Okay, so you're sending three guys out, one commander, two gunners, two machine guns. It's got to be one of those situations where the colonel had to have like pissed somebody off and they're like who are we going to send on this he's like I got a guy I got a guy well and then you got to think when he finds out that it's emus his confidence is sky high these birds oh, yeah. have tiny heads tiny head tiny brain you have to be able to outsmart them yeah it had to have been he's like hey um, listen man there's a bunch of birds over on the other side of the country this sounds stupid but we need to take two guys and a bunch of machine guns a couple, a couple machine guns. And listen, just kill, like, as many of the birds as you can. 
we're giving you 10,000 rounds of ammo. Government wants this done. The guy's got to be like, okay, we got this. We'll be, we'll be back next week. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Well, and the very funny part was one of the things that the government put into it was to send out the machine guns. The only people that were allowed to use the machine guns were the active military members. Correct, so they couldn't just give the, like, the farmers guns. Yeah, so we have 5,300 ex-soldiers that fought in a world war or the Great War at that point. We're not going to let you run the machine gun. No. We're going to send these three guys out. Very smart guys. We're going to have to put this on the books as a legitimate army operation because we're having to send soldiers yeah. to do this. Yep. So, this is going to have to be in our history yeah, for, for it, people to look back on. We're hoping this is a small blip in mm-hmm. history because yeah. it's going to be such a clean deal. Okay, so what happens when they get there? So, at this point, we have three soldiers that are moving into Western Australia, and they're the answer to the issues. They're the government's answer to these issues. These three soldiers are going to take 10,000 rounds, two machine guns, and they're going to try to cull the herd of 21,000 emus that are the national bird of Australia. And this is where we come to the first burning question that I have for you. Our national bird is the bald eagle. Do you think with as loved and protected as the bald eagle is now, if the bald eagle somehow became so invasive that we were worried that it was going to cause major issues, do you think the people in our country would look at what the government's plan was of culling the bald eagle population and be like, yeah, this is, this is a good idea. Are you talking about right now yeah. or, or back then? It, no, not right now, because well, they would never let it get to that. There's like, you know, we're not going to get snuck upon by... I, I get what you're getting at. If if you want to take a step back to when this occurred and say we had 21,000 bald eagles in the United States and they were as large as emus <laughs> yeah. and everything like that, the government would have been like, yeah, yeah, we'll go ahead and send them. They're like, oh, we're going to have... This is one area. We're going to have a ton of bald eagles left and everything. Well, and in order to get to the endangered species list like the bald eagle did, there had to have been a point in time where people were hunting them. I get that the reason they ended up on the endangered species list was because of, like, DDT and because of pesticides killing out the bird population. But I just can't ever bring myself to think that our government nowadays is like, hey, we got a plan. No way nowadays. Australia couldn't do this nowadays. No. No, because, and the only reason that this could get pulled off back then is because there wasn't animal activists. There, there was nothing but everything in Australia, Australia would kill you. There was. There, there were animal groups. It wasn't PETA, but there were people. Oh. Once this story of the emu war gets out to the world, which I got to imagine is probably worst case scenario for okay. the people of Australia. My, my point is this. There are not enough people that are animal activists in Australia that would have the ability to know about this. The only people that are probably known about this are the soldiers going and the farmers they told these people. There's no coverage. It's not like, you know, this would get out. The only reason this got out is because once it went shit, whoever is in parliament or government or whatever they have in Australia, the guys that were against, like, the current um, leader, didn't they use this? They used this to, like, just give him a ton of shit, didn't they? Well, this is where their hubris came into effect. Because along with the three guys that they sent, they also sent a cameraman to document the victory Correct. that they were going to That achieve. is the only time you are going to send a film crew with you is if you're just so confident yeah. that it's going to go so well. It was, yeah, it, that, yeah. that was the, it, you're going to show this to the millions and say, mm-hmm. hey, we're doing some shit. 
So obviously at this Look how good we fucking kill these birds. <laughs> so obviously at this point, because they're bringing a film crew, because the government, like the, the country's government got involved, you did get out to the media. The media was out there like, okay, let's get this done. And you got to think, after going through depressions, after going through recessions and all that shit, everybody's bummed out. They, they needed this win? Yeah, you need this win at this point. So, as the media comes out, they start to go out, talk to the farmers, they find out when this offensive is going to start, which is the 2nd of November in 1932. You got... These three fellas standing out there with two machine guns, 10,000 rounds of ammo, and the farmers just standing around like, okay, this shit's going to pop off. The media's sitting there, too. They're all talking to each other. First day they go out and try to do it, they see just these gigantic packs of emus, and this is when the shit really starts to pop off. You're going to get out there on the first day. You're confident. You got two machine guns. You have two guns that have killed many men in wars over time. It's going to be super easy. You're dealing with an enemy that is dumb enough to, when you walk up on a group of them, which, what do you think a group of emus would be called? A pack? I don't know. Packs usually don't apply to birds. It's always something weird with birds. It's like a, 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 a gaggle of geese, a murder of crows. It's, birds are always weird when they're in groups. We're running into a situation where I don't know if this was like the first time. Is it something like total badass, like a terror of emus? Oh, yeah. Is it really? It's a mob. Hell yeah. A mob. Hell yes. So they come up. They realize that there's this mob of emus standing in front of them. They're ready to go. Their confidence is sky high. They're yelling at the dude, hey, get recording this. This is going to be the coolest shit that you're ever going to see. They open fire on this group, on this mob of emus. Boom. They break into packs that are smaller, break into mobs that are smaller, they scatter. They have two machine guns that can't move anywhere. They can't carry them. They can't go chase these that's, mobs down. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. So at this point, because of like the way machine guns were built and everything, this wasn't like they were large enough to where you had to be in a stationary position. So you'd have to go get set up on like a bipod and then get your can or this was the drum on it get your drum, drum in place feed. and everything like that because you didn't I don't think you wanted to carry it with that because it would like cause jams and everything yeah too heavy so you would have to go get heavy. set up so there wasn't technically ambushers or sneak attack they had to try to get as close to these things as they could hey wait wait there guys let us get set up and then start firing exactly and then they start scattering and breaking up into these different packs or different mobs so day one Body count at the end of the day. Gotta have decent success, right? You got two machine guns. You got three high-level military guys. I would expect that that the first or the first part of this should have had the highest kills, just because it's like hunting season. Yeah. So they're not used to hearing gunfire, and they don't start getting skittish until they start hearing that for a couple days. So technically, if these emus were just hanging around farmers and I'm not saying that like the farmers were getting close to them or anything but if they're seeing humans and they're not really doing anything or in danger and they're eating wheat I it would stand a reason for me that there would be a high likelihood of a lot of kills because those guys could get closer to them set up 
not scare them and just have open shots at them. Yeah, I'm sure these guys, the emus, are used to hearing a, an errant gunshot from a farmer or yeah. something to make them yeah. scatter, but... Machine gun, I mean, that was fairly new to humanity. Yes. So these emus have no idea. Day one, the greatest overestimation of any war that we've ever seen. 21,000 emus, I'm sure it wasn't all of them in that area. Day one kill count, not 200, not 100, 20. 20 emus dropped in the first day. Second day, you got to think there's some some recalculating, some thought process. We've shot a shitload of rounds. We got to be doing okay. Second day, we didn't hit 20. We didn't hit 30. We hit 12. So I would imagine they're giving this multiple tries a day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've got to be. This would be something that, like, would be a high number. In a few hours, like if you were like duck hunting or something, like in a blind, you and it was like a few hours of your day, you set up in one spot. But like 20, 20 is horrible just from like if you were to set up in one spot and get 20 in the first go. Oh, yeah. This wasn't just one go. This was them having to go seek them out and only able to take out 20 of them in a day. Just a number that has to completely zap your confidence. You got to be looking over at the the film guy, being like, "Hey, who's just laughing his yeah, ass laughing his ass off?" You're asking this guy if he can cut this up to make it look a little bit better than what it is. Because oh, yeah. by November eighth, so we're six days into it, they've used up a quarter of the ten thousand rounds of ammunition. We're six days maybe seven days of engagement depending on when they start they've killed between 50 to 500 and I only say 500 because I'm sure that they had to come back to their commanding officers and be like yo the 50 <laughs> the 50 is what the cameraman says that's actually giving the truth and watching he's like no not give us 50 <laughs> basically they're on the phone those superiors being like oh yeah we've got like what like we got like 500 of them and the cameraman just goes fucking 50 <laughs> So even if you're on the high side of that estimate and you're saying five, 500, even give them the credit of 500. You've been there six days. Okay, fine. Cool. 506 days. But the fact that you have used up a quarter of your ammunition, you've gone, you've only eliminated 500 from the 21,000. Well, that was the best part of it was the 500 number was then be like, well, yeah, I mean... We know that we killed a lot of them, but we also shot a lot of them. So there's a great chance that these guys just wandered off. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure that they were able to run way out of sight. Yeah, at at full clip, and then just dropped. Oh yeah, they they died right on the other side of the horizon. Had had to have. Obviously, at this point, even if you do say five hundred, which sounds still like tiddlywinks, you're comparing that to twenty one thousand. Oh my god you're not, that's not even a dent. You're not even, it's just terrible. So, obviously, first round at that point, not great. They go back, they regroup. I'm sure there's no win. And you got to think the media at this point is like, holy shit. So do they go back to where, they go back to the East Coast, to the capital? They go back to the government. They make the, they report their findings. They report what they did, which obviously 
had to have been just a terrible They said they feeling. took care of it, though, right? Yeah. They're, well, like, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, we, I mean, we, we did enough. I'm sure the three of them did rock, paper, scissors outside the door for who had to go in and report. They go in and report, and at this point, they're thinking, okay, we only used a quarter of what we allocated, maybe things went right. We, you know what it was? They're like, we didn't kill 21,000, but we scared so oh, many of them. And now the they, yeah, out of them. listen, th- they may not be dead, but they are terrified to come near this weed again. Yeah, we, they've moved on. Everything's good. The farmers come back after we run through the, the November 8th briefing and they say, hey. They're back. You guys didn't do shit. You guys need a better setup. We need more help. There has to be something that goes along that is going to make this better because at this point they're finding out that it's taking between 8 and 10 rounds to drop these big-ass birds to take them down. I, I, which That's hitting them. Yeah. Not 10 rounds just firing them. That's no. the round of rounds hitting them. Yeah. The, those are the, the critical shots that they're taking, which... If you have to think about it, if these birds are that strong in their body, mm-hmm. the fact that they have a tiny-ass head to stop a headshot is an immediate advantage. Oh, yeah. You can't get a headshot on an emu that has basically like a baseball-sized head. It's like almost an ostrich-type situation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they're they're fairly related, I think. I mean, ostriches are found more in Africa, which, looking into this, I honestly thought ost- ostriches and emus kind of ran shit down mm-hmm. in Australia. Ostriches are found in Africa, which kind of makes sense because Pangea, there was a good chance that Australia and Africa were connected. So through evolution, these two birds had to have come from the same line. At some point, yes. They just deviated. So, and you have to imagine too that like, it's like when you're looking at a dog that has like longer hair or like birds. When you actually get down to their body, there's a pretty significant reduction in size. Yeah. Because of the way the feathers fluff out. So even, you know, if these guys think they're getting kill shots on them, they could just be passing through feathers or just getting, like, nicking them and everything. But um, I read one of the guys that... It was the lead guy, uh, Meredith. Yeah. So he comes back and they were asking him... I'm sure at some point someone asked him, they're like, how do you only kill, like, 500 birds? <laughs> and so he actually came out. I'm trying to... It's This isn't going to be a direct <laughs> quote, but this was what the gist was. He said that if they could use these birds as mobile like weapons platforms, if they could give them guns to carry like that, ammunition, correct to carry ammunition, that they could take on any army in the world. That these things are basically running tanks, <laughs> and this is how he justified just getting his ass handed to him by these birds. It took him six days of humbling oh, to yeah. realize that we may have it, overthought this. Listen, guys, these aren't normal birds. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said he's like you told me you, you were sending me out to face normal birds these are like tank birds I don't know what you guys are talking about I don't want to call you guys assholes but you sent me out there with 10,000 rounds of ammunition and two guns and said hey have at it you'll take care of this this will be good you guys will get plenty of PR out of this we'll look good so farmers come back in four days later basically tell them hey problem's still there you guys still need to take care of it so they send the three, the same three guys back out, right? Well, yeah. And on a national standpoint, this has hit the media. It's hit the newspapers. So everybody in Australia at this point has had a good laugh. So government agrees to go back out, except for this time, they feel like they have the answer to all the solutions. 
They bring out a military, probably like a Jeep. It was a military vehicle. They think these guys run in packs. These guys run in mobs. They head off in different directions. What's the best thing that we can do? We strap a gun to the back of the vehicle. So that way we have a mobile machine gun that we can chase these mobs down with and we can shoot the shit out of them. I'm sure at that point everybody's giving each other high fives like, we figured this out. Mm-hmm. They move, we move. They move, we move. We're crushing these guys. So November 13th, they get back out there. They get the machine gun mounted on the back of the vehicle. I'm sure between the three of them, they got a driver. They got a they got a wheelman. They got a guy on the gun. They got somebody feeding ammunition at that point. So there's three of them in there. First day, they go back out. Torrential rains. No way that they can do anything. No way that they can go on the offensive. There's mud everywhere, all sorts of issues. So they have to sack it the first day. Second day, they're ready to go. They got a great day. Guns strapped up, fueled up. Farmers are back out watching. I'm sure they have whatever the equivalent of lawn chairs was back then. Have themselves a Foster's. They're ready to watch this shit happen. They open up fire on November 13th. I believe that the rain day was November 12th, the first official day of engagement. <laughs> of uh, uh, Emu War 2. Yeah, Emu, Emu War 2. Emu War Part 2, November 13th. They start firing rounds. At this point, they've known that they were just going to start to spread out in these little packs. They think they got the drop on them. Here comes the major flaw. If you're shooting from anything that's moving, you're only going to be as good as the roads that you're traveling on or the terrain that you're traveling on. If you're on a smooth surface, you're probably doing pretty good. You're catching 30, 40 miles an hour. You're going to be able to catch up to these birds pretty well. Outback's not so smooth. I still don't even think, like, just trying to think of, like, shock technology. Yeah, yeah. Back here, even a smooth road, as smooth as you can make a country road in the outback, even if shocks were good, you would no. not, you wouldn't be hitting shit. Uh, well, and this made me think, very far off topic, but this made me think of, was it the first jackass when Steve-O gets the tattoo in the back of the Jeep? Yes. And they're driving down the road mm-hmm. and he's trying to get the smiley face on his arm. Mm-hmm. They're going over berms, they're going over everything possible, and he's just getting stabbed to shit with mm-hmm. that tattoo gun. His smiley face looks awful. It's like that scene on Magruba, MacGruber, where he first gets the two movies, <laughs> yes. and he stands up and he just starts firing yeah. over his head, and he's like, oh my god, he's like, did I hit anything? <laughs> so, they're traveling down these roads, and obviously, the emus don't have to go over roads. They're going everywhere that they want. They're going into, like, irrigated fields. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, all all the Jeep can do is travel on any sort of dirt road yeah. that's out there. So, their traveling speed is 20 miles an hour that they feel comfortable enough to get these shots off with. Good news, until you know that an emu's top running speed, 31 miles an hour. <laughs> so, you're in a Jeep. Chasing down something that can run 30 miles an hour, and you're only going mm, about 20. Firing off all these shots, trying to kill all these birds. You see a campaign running from right around November 13th to December 10th. And at this point, they come back after December 10th to report their findings. 
this is odd to me how well these numbers were placed in there. They said that they killed 986 birds, which sounds like a win. Yeah, it's almost a thousand birds. Yeah, it's almost a thousand birds. So you're, what, if you have a 21,000 emus. I, I don't you, consider that a win in regards to no, that amount. No. But compared to what you got before. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a win. Unfortunately, somehow magically the numbers line up. They used 9,860 rounds to kill 986 birds. So they're like, guess what, guys? You're not going to believe this. But it took 10 rounds perfectly <laughs> to put down every bird. <laughs> all, all I'm thinking, too, is like, so you're in the back of this truck, and all you got to hope <laughs> to God is that these emus aren't trying to run in front of the truck because you got the guy in the cab <laughs> in front. Huh. This is the best part. They ended on December 10th. Not because they felt like they had done good. Not because they felt like they had accomplished something. On December 10th, there was an emu that crossed the road right in front of the Jeep. Mm -hmm. Jeep hits emu. Emu gets tied up in drivetrain. Drivetrain stops. Jeep crashes. It took one emu to take out the Jeep that was supposed to kill the rest of the herd. Do you think... The emus figured out what was going on, and they're like, all right, who's going to give? <laughs> this emu in the back is raising his hands. He's like, I will do it. <laughs> I will take on the beast. I'll take on the movie thingy. I'll jump in front of it. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. And, of course, they reported that there were only minor injury or minor. It was a minor crash is the way that they reported back. But the farmers and the media that were out there, I'm sure watching this show, like, holy oh my shit, God. this is the best we have to do. They said that the vehicle was not drivable when they pulled it out. So it just completely fucked them up. Just to be able to say, like, what happened? You're like, oh, you know, our we, we didn't have a vehicle, our Jeep wrecked. They're like, okay, well, did you get another one? Like, no. Like, what do you mean? They're like, they sent you guys out with one <laughs> vehicle. <laughs> like, no backup. You guys couldn't have gone to, like, the nearest military base and been like, hey, um, government operation, can we get another Jeep? Yeah. Need one? They Flash like, your badges, no, go in there, they commandeer hit, one Jeep. They hit one emu, and they thought to themselves, like, these things are fucking smart. These things are starting to take out our vehicles. Let's just call it good. So, at this point, they claim victory. Yeah, yeah, as much as they can. Yeah, Operation Emu. Operation Emu. Government success. Government one, Emu zero. Okay. Newspapers, Operation Emu, failure. There you go. So, it catches back up to the government. And they realize when the farmers come back next migration season, see that there's still a shit ton of emus out there. Fellas, we need more help. We need a third a third try at this. At this point, the government has been slapped around two separate times, and they say, we're not doing this again. We're not going to be the laughing stock of the country one more time. <laughs> all, all they see is the guy in office, in his office, and you hear, like, you know in shows when you always hear the assistant buzz in, being like, uh, Mr. Davis, these people are here to see you. He's just sitting there in his office, and all of a sudden you hear this beep, like, um... <laughs> Uh, Mr. President, uh, yes, 
the emu people are here. He's like, God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> They're back? We're doing this again? He's like, they better be here to tell me how... how <laughs> the There's no more emu problems. They better be here to thank me. Well, that, that wasn't the news. They were back to tell them that they were the emus were back. They were eating their crops again. We're not going to go through another loss as a government. At one point, after they shot down the idea of bringing back guns and bringing back more ammunition, the farmers asked for bombs. No, it's logical. Yeah, well... It's the next logical leap. Like, listen, you guys couldn't take these things out with machine guns. Yeah. (laughs) We need... Listen, guys, we're going to need some fucking bombs to take these birds out. It makes sense. We're going to have to find where they live... We're going to have to root them out in their nest and we're going to have to blow them up. The land is going to be scarred irreparably at this point if we're dropping bombs on them, but that's worth it. Like, we, listen, either you give us bombs this year or we're going to be back next year for armored, yeah. armored personnel carriers. We're asking for bombs this year. Imagine what we're going to have to ask for next year at this point if you don't give us bombs. So they ended up right, putting... I got to pee. Okay. Stay with us. We'll be right back. So they basically put a system in place <clears throat> well, where they offer... It's just money for dead emu. Yeah. So any anyone can take advantage of it. So if someone wants to step in that has a gun that doesn't have anything to do, that'll solve the issue. It, yeah, it'll at least push the numbers back far enough to where they can be okay. Gotcha. To where they don't have to hear this complaint. Yeah. So okay. this is their kind of their answer at this point was the bounty system, we're going to put it back onto these ex-soldiers that have this land out here, and anybody that's brave enough to come to this crazy land to fight off these emus. And this is where my second burning question for you comes in. If you had similar resources, what do you think you would do to try to call this herd to get better results? If you were just going to tell me we got... Let's, like, try to make it more, like, applicable to, like, what's something we're familiar with, like, in the United States. So you have, like, the United States Army, and all of a sudden someone comes in, they're like, I got 21,000 buffalo roaming across my land, you yeah. know, my crops, everything like that. At that time, if this was after World War One, and I was like, I'm in the government, and I have to go ahead and put a military operation together to take care of buffalo... I'm going to underestimate it like they did because I'm going to be like, I'm not going to assign a whole bunch of stuff, make it a bigger thing than it is and be like army launches war against the Buffalo. Yeah. I'm going to think that like giving three guys two machine, the, the amount of ammunition was ridiculous to me. If the, when you're looking at the number of emus, Oh yeah. If that wouldn't have been a factor, I would still, that would be the only thing that I really think I might've sent a couple more guys, but like that to me would have been like, okay, they can do this operation over the course of, you know, a few weeks and everything, and I'm sure that they can go ahead and kill 5,000 of these things. They should yeah. be able to. So I see why they made this decision. The second one, the second go-around, <laughs> <laughs> the second time I would have been like, okay, what I'm going to go ahead and do is I'm just going to go ahead and try to make this quick. I'm going to send 50 to 100 guys out there, Break them up yeah. into break them up into different units. Hunting packs almost. Correct. Hunting groups. Because if you would have done that in the second one, 
don't worry about the ammunition. If they killed a thousand each, and it was like the over that month, it was the three guys. I think also think that that is a bullshit number. That I think nine hundred eighty six. Yes, I think they kill way less than that. But even if you gave them over that month, let's just give them half of it. Yeah. Give them half, or even say four hundred or four fifty or whatever. I think if you were to take that four fifty and you had. 50 to 100 guys out there in different units, you can mag- you could have knocked out half of them, even if it was yeah. half that amount. The The fact that, I don't know, it's easy to look at, but if you told me about the Great Emu War, I'd be like, yeah, they sent out these army guys to kill all these emu. I'd be like, oh, fuck, how many emu died? Like, I would have thought it would have been a ton. Yeah. It's on, this is only interesting because it's so ridiculous how bad of a failure it was. Oh, yeah. Well... Since I sprung it on you, now I get to swoop in and sound like the genius that I am. Yeah, how would you How would you have handled this? I feel like I came up with a great plan. I want to hear it. So, this involves no bullets. I'm taking a page out of the Tanya Harding playbook at okay. this point. We need two Jeeps. We need two drivers. And we need about a 300 foot long cable. Okay. I, get, I feel like I get where you're going with this. I'm going to put one Jeep on one side, one Jeep on the other side. I'm stringing the cable up in between the back of the Jeeps. And we're going to drive the Jeeps at the exact same time. We're going to figure out where the big group of the emus are. You're you're using the the uh, like the like fishing when they use the net. Yeah. And yeah. between two boats and they just drag it. To, okay, I get what you're getting. This is where my thought process comes in where it kind of does that. Because you wrap... Obviously, you're going to wrap, with like fish or anything like that, you're going to wrap the net around them. You're, Net's not going to work. You're trying to you're trying to merge a Japanese fishing method with a Red Rover, Red Rover. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. So we're driving the Jeeps, exact same speed, which obviously is going to be a little tricky, but I'm sure at that point they had to have had walkie-talkies, maybe. I feel like this plan has so many holes in it already, but I want you to Okay, okay. So we're driving same speed. The engine noises are going to scare the emus towards the center of what's going on because they're going to try to avoid the two things. They saw their buddy sacrifice himself in front of the jeep the first time. They're going to know that they don't want to cross over. We're clipping these birds like mid-leg, mid-shin. We're snapping knees at this point as we're coming up on these packs. We're we're knocking these mobs out all one by one. So the... In in this scenario, these birds are standing still. Oh no, they they can be running. That's that's the thing. Is maybe I would have tried to plow these straight lines a little bit straighter and a little bit softer, so we wouldn't be bouncing around, so we could catch some more speed. How fast do these jeeps go at this time? Well, I mean, the truck you the truck they were using you said only went twenty, 20 miles, miles an, hour. an hour. Very true. These things are just going to outrun the shit out of your fucking cable and these jeeps but the ones that don't the slower ones the special ones the ones that that aren't exactly <laughs> you're just making there. the emu stronger at that point oh. you're just taking out you're taking out the weak ones and stupid <laughs> ones you're gonna you know what your idea does your idea creates a race of super oh, emu God. who oh, in, I 2022, think about this too. in 2022 emus are running the country of australia <sighs> Okay, so you have forced evolution to create these super smart birds, and now you know what? It's not even called Western Australia anymore. It's just called Emu Land. They I have just, that I've just it. created it a deeper. Well, not a deeper, but I've I've fixed the gene pool for the emus. No, what? Yes, and what you've done is now you've made Australia 
according to this previous colonel guy, you've made Australia the strongest military. So now you got this race of super smart, genetically enhanced emus who are working with Australia, who has weapons. They got exactly what this guy wanted. They got these weaponized emus, and you've just turned Australia into the dominant superpower in the world. Well, now I'm thinking the bombs idea is not that crazy. I was real confident in this steel cable apparatus. I thought that this was going to work better, but that does make more sense. You're only, you're getting the slow ones. You are getting the real slow ones. All right. So, luckily, if we go back to what we saw in the beginning when we were talking about rabbits, they built the rabbit fence, and that was the other fucked up thing about this whole thing that I had completely forgot about, was not only... Were the emus becoming pests, but they were breaking down the rabbit fence. Oh, that's right. So the rabbits were working in unison at that point with the emus, where the emus would stomp the fence down, then the rabbits were in. The rabbits were making shit happen on the ground, whereas the emus were more hunting, pecking, taking down the wheat. So we have a double invasion at that point. The bounty system actually wasn't terrible. I want to say the bounty system... They ended up having, I want to say it was somewhere around 50,000, which I don't know how the bounty system worked. I don't know if you had to bring in a head or a feather or what. I would imagine it was probably each, like, district or territory, like, smaller area, probably had, like, a government liaison office or something like that. And you would take it to this guy. This guy in this town would be put in charge, and the government would say, you're in charge of this. We'll go ahead and keep track of you. You have to go ahead and hand out the emu. So it was probably more on a localized level. But what... <laughs> you have guys just sending in these big boxes of emu heads yeah. to the government, and they're like, God damn it, more emu heads. Well, that's what I'm saying, because if you think that you have 20,000 emus in one area, mm-hmm. and they're cashing in 50,000 bounties, obviously this wasn't in one year, but what are you showing at that point? That's- Is it... That could have been just one migration, man. Yeah. Like, if this is an area in, like, who's to say, like, you know how many different, like, routes, like, Canadian geese, like, take throughout the United States to get, like, down to certain areas in the south? Like, this could have been, like, one just big migration of emus that only lived in this specific region. Because even if they weren't a problem, you know, we're going deep on this, actually. Like, let's say they do put a bounty system in place. That's still paying money for any emus and everything like that. It's probably maybe just not in that specialized, you know, localized 21,000 area. Yeah. You're having people all over the country that are able to be like, oh, I can get some money killing these emus. And they just kill them and send them in. So, and I'm sure it was... What are they sending in as proof, though? Because if... I would see, like, if it was a head, it would make sense. I don't think they're sending it in, though. I think they would have a local person... Yeah, but you have to go in and show, like, I have this many heads... But the brilliant system, depending on what it would be, is these things have three toes per foot. So if you're like, hey, bring us in a toe, that way you can prove that you killed him. These Australians that are the farmers that have basically been abandoned by the government, they're like, do it on your own. We're not going to help you out. So if they're like, bring us in a toe, bring us in a feather, and these guys are like, hey, these things have six toes per body. If I bring six toes in and only kill one, I'm collecting six bounties. I want to have more faith in the intelligence of people I, that the government would have they lost a war to emus I know they, they lost a war I, to that's what, listen that's why I said I want to believe because based on all of what we've just talked about that seems like something that would be 
logical. I, I'm cheering nature first, then I'm cheering farmers second, then I'm cheering government third. So I'm hoping that these farmers had figured out a way to double up on what they were getting per bounty per bird. So how did they eventually? Because they're not going to, unless they kill all 21,000 in that specific migration or move the farms, this would be something that would be happening, I don't know if like today, but this would be like long term. So how did they end up fixing it? Well, I'd like to say that they came up with a great, brilliant plan. I'd like to say that there was more thought that went into it. Basically, what fixed the issue for the farmers was coming out of the Depression, obviously, grain prices go back up, wheat Mm -hmm. prices go back up, these farmers are back to making some money, and all they did was reinvest the profits that they were getting into better fences. So they, they basically built taller fences around their place, and they actually kind of found out that emus, rabbits, different things like that, would be beneficial for them in non-farming times to let in on their land because they would graze out different species of caterpillars, different things that would be eating their crops mm-hmm. that were taking down their crop yield. They could fight that back by letting rabbits in, by letting emus in, different things. Like in a that, controlled situation, yeah, not exactly. like free-range. They were no. like, let's let a few in and have them kind of... Three okay. months out of the year, they would open up their fences, gotcha. they would let these... Species come in, they would let them clear out the land, they would eat off anything that was left over, then they'd probably fire a gun, something like that, chase them back Mm -hmm. out of their fields, put their fences back up, and let their fences stand for as long as they could against these emus while they had their crops. (laughs) Do you think eventually, before they decided to do that... They were just all out standing by the rabbit fence. A bunch of guys in there like... (laughs) One of them just looks down at it and is like, fuck. He's like, what? He's like... Why did we just make the fence higher? Yeah. All we had to do was build this fence five feet tall. Like, we could have, like, uh, yeah, let's just make three rabbit fences. Just put yeah. three rabbit fences <laughs> on top of each other. <laughs> let's break away from this two-foot-tall fence. No what shit. if we made a four-foot-tall fence? Which still, I imagine these fences had to be huge, because emus can jump about five feet standing. Why would <clears throat> Why would people have emu farms now like what would be the purpose of having emu farms nowadays meat Mm. oil there's it's emu oil they named it something different they use the like the aboriginal name for emu 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 grease no it's killing me i forgot what it's called it sounds way better than emu oil but apparently it's very sought after for like a beauty product okay and it helps calm down inflammation in joints Kalea oil, which to me, Kalea oil sounds a lot better than emu oil because mm-hmm. I know what an emu is, whereas I wouldn't know what a Kalea is, so I don't think I would feel as bad about them squeezing a bird for oil. Yeah. Okay, so as far as the meat goes, I'm looking that it is... Oh, I'm going to get hungry quick here. Okay, tell me about it. Ever since I started researching this topic... My mouth has just started watering because every every little bit of information would be like, yeah, and they're good meat too. It's something that's healthier than red meat. It has more protein. Well, it does. I don't know if it has more protein, but it's less rich in fat, so it's going to be better that way. There's more vitamins and minerals in it, and from what I read, it said that it's almost equivalent to like a fillet cut of a cow. So a filet mignon cut mm-hmm. would basically be 
what they call the fan, which is part of the bird. They have loins in them that are very tender, too. It it just sounds awesome. Uh, all I've wanted to do is figure it out, but unfortunately it didn't catch on in America like it was supposed to, so it's kind of hard to find them. What else do you have there? Oh, what else has um, Australia been famous for trying to wipe out oh, of their man. environment? The amount of things, like we talked about in the beginning, the amount of things that were introduced to Australia by people that have come down there, by the English, by different things. We talked about the cats and... Camels. Them getting out. We talked about the camels. We talked about... The rabbits. The rabbits that were used for target practices. Horses were imported, obviously, for vehicles back then because they didn't have any sort of transportation. There weren't cars back then Mm -hmm. when they first came over. Horses would get out of pens, and that's actually one of the biggest fights that they're still going on today, where they're they're publishing culling herds of wild horses that run around out there because they're just just basically as invasive as anything else. They're trampling farmland. They're everywhere in Central Australia. They're everywhere in the the dead zone. They have carp that have become invasive in the water that they brought down there for farming, which. Anytime I see carp is out there, I've never seen carp on a menu anywhere. I don't know what carp does that would be profitable to farm. Well, it used it used to be really profitable because the thing is, is carp are so like hardy as a fish. Yeah, like so their survivability is so crazy that they would bring carp to farm them to have a readily available supply of like you know meat and protein. Yeah. Because they can they can survive and eat stuff off the bottom and everything. That's why if you get carp in like a pond, man, they will survive forever after everything else is dead. Because they it's basically like a trash fish. It's right? a trash they just, fish. They eat everything that mm-hmm. everything else doesn't. They don't really go after like I mean you can catch them and everything, but like and bow hunt for them. But it's not like a fish that's swimming around looking to eat this thing. Just roots around the bottom like a truffle pig, just trying to find stuff. I just carp doesn't even sound appetizing. Maybe if you have nothing else, change, if you yeah. had, if you had nothing else and you didn't know about other fish, carp would probably be delicious. That's true. Then you run into red foxes, which were brought down. Is from like, the Jeffersons? <laughs> not the Jeffersons. <laughs> that was George. Wasn't uh, his name Red Fox? Red Fox was Samson or Samson Sanford and son. son. Sanford and Son, that's right. Yeah. Very funny man. Yes, yep. that guy very much. That's still my ring telling. But they were brought down to help hunters take down game until apparently they said fuck the hunters and became we'll wild. We'll take down, down our there. own game. Yeah, and we're, we're gonna sure. do our own thing yeah. down there. So Australia is just a mishmash of actual animals that have been there for millions of years and then everything else that humans have brought in. Humans are kind of the the overarching the, the culprit problem here. Yeah. here. Yeah, they're That's not going to I'm sure we're going to find out how true that is. Oh, when yeah. we get into stuff that's going to be kind of the overarching plot. Yeah, humans that's what we should just that uh that's going to be the tagline for the entire <laughs> podcast is it's going to be historically high. Humans are the problem. <laughs> Let us tell you how. I like that. They're going to come up and everything. They're going to be the overarching problem in all these. So. All right. Well, how do you think we did today on covering this stuff? I think we did better. I think this was good. I think this was something fun to dig into and really get into. We're going to have some fun with some of these podcasts. We're going to get into some crazy things. We're going to get into some serious things and try to make them... Uh, 
try to see the light in some dark places over time, but this was just an easy, fun one that we could get into and really enjoy. Thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Remember to follow us on our social media, Twitter. It's at Historically High, Historically H-I, and uh, on Instagram, Historically High, H-I-G-H, pod, P-O-D. And uh, yeah, tune in next week, next Wednesday, for the uh, next episode. Have a good one.